Amen, amen. Good to have our worship team back, isn't it? Uh-huh. Amen. I was grateful for those that came and filled in the last couple of weeks, but uh, I'm grateful for our worship team and grateful that they're sort of all back together. Uh, I told you last Sunday that uh, Matt, our drummer, his mom had tested positive, and this last week he's positive and all the rest of his family except for his dad. So uh, we're still missing him, but other than that, I think we're sort of kind of back to full strength, right? Uh, God is at work. God is answering prayer, and uh, people are recovering and getting better. Uh, Carol Ann's here this morning, even has sort of kind of shoes on, has sandals on where she injured her foot. And so that's an answer to prayer, and we're grateful for that and uh, grateful for the good stuff that God is doing. So how are you all doing this morning? How about you, you, you coming in on YouTube? Let me hear you. How are you doing this morning? Wednesday was uh, a significant day in the life of our country. We inaugurated our 46th president. And so for some of you this morning, you're glad, you're excited, you're expectant, you're hopeful. Uh, Some of you this morning are sad. Some of you this morning are uh, pessimistic. Some of you are discouraged. And I want you to understand one simple truth this morning. Wherever you are, I want you to give you this perspective that uh, the election has made zero impact on God's kingdom. Zero impact. I want you to understand this morning that God is still on His throne, right? He still reigns supreme in this universe, in this country, in this city, and uh, in our church, and in your life and in my life. We just sang a song that talked about him being our king. And we need to embrace that and remember that and celebrate that. Regardless, what's what's the bumper sticker say? Something about no matter who's president, Jesus is... Boy, that was weak. Jesus is still king. There you go. And so we need to embrace that perspective. No matter who's in the White House. um, I wrote this down. God's kingdom is neither damaged nor improved by this election or any other election past or present or future. God's kingdom is not impacted. It's not improved. It's not hindered. It's not helped. God's kingdom stands as solid and advances as always, untouched by the decisions, decrees, designs, or devices of any nation, any leader, any king, any emperor, any president, any congress, or any parliament. Thank you. I was just holding out for one amen. Do you believe that this morning? You know, regardless of, of how you're celebrating or how you're discouraged this morning, uh, Jesus is king. Jesus is in charge, and I'm glad for that. He rules and he reigns. And Psalm 145 just screams this out to me. In the 145th Psalm, King David writes these words of praise. I will extol you, my God, O There's the K word, king. I will extol you, my God, O king. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Every hour, every minute, every second, right? Every day I will bless you, regardless. I will bless you. I got an email this week from our church in Rancho Cucamonga. And the text, the subject line said, God tore down our tent. 
Those winds that we had last week here were nothing compared to what they were out in the Inland Empire. And they had this big, beautiful tent all set up out there and totally demolished and destroyed. And Pastor Eric's declaration to his church family was, God tore down our tent. Well, who's in charge of the winds? God is. And we will extol, we will bless every minute, every hour, every second. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. I love this psalm. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They will eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Pay attention now. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall do what? bless you. They shall speak of the glory of what? Your kingdom. And talk of your power. To make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Regardless what happens to the United States of America, regardless who's the president, there's one kingdom that's going to endure forever, right? God may choose at some point in time, at some point in history, to take this country down. He may choose to do that. I don't know. He may choose to continue to bless us and and prosper us. I don't know that either. But regardless, there's one kingdom that endures forever. It's God's kingdom. And it's untouched, unimpacted, unaffected by any election that we have. And so we shall we should all be on the page of the page of celebrating this morning. Not being discouraged, not being depressed. We should all be on that celebratory page. Because our king is in control. Our king is on his throne. Are you grateful for that this morning? I certainly am. As we come to the gospels this year and as I preach to the Gospel of Mark, one of the things that I've noticed is that the kingdom was a big theme with Jesus. And we're going to discover in a couple of weeks in Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus' ministry was all about God's kingdom. And you and I are privileged to be members of God's great kingdom, aren't we? In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, it says this, Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You and I are privileged by the grace and mercy of God to be citizens of heaven, part of God's kingdom. And so, if you're like me, you've been saying the Pledge of Allegiance to America probably since at least the age of five in kindergarten, right? That's a daily deal. Our city council, when I go to city council meetings, always begins, everyone stands up, Pledge of Allegiance. And I've wondered... If it shouldn't be true that maybe we have a, a pledge of allegiance that we should say on Sunday mornings. I pledge allegiance to my King Jesus and to the kingdom for which he stands. One gospel. <laughs> Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Forgiveness and eternal life offered to all. 
We ought to realize that that's where our allegiance really is, isn't it? We're citizens of, of God's great kingdom, and that's part of what we celebrate. And so we can and will continue praying as Jesus taught us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can and will continue to make it our priority to seek his kingdom. Jesus told us to seek first, what? The kingdom of God, first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things would be added to us. We can and will continue to make it a priority that we will continue to proclaim the gospel of his kingdom. Psalm 145 said it this way, Your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. So, election, inauguration, what changes for us as the Church of Jesus Christ in America? Nothing. Zero, zip, zilch. We press on on the mission that God has entrusted to us. And so we're pursuing our theme in 2021, following Jesus. We're pursuing our theme of asking God to make us a little more responsive to Jesus' leading and direction in our life, that we follow Him a little more closely, love Him a little more deeply. That's not going to change. We go forward in that power and in that theme. And as we do that, we're praying and asking God to move us out of this building, out of these four walls, into the harvest field. Reaching men and women, boys and girls, with the news of God's kingdom. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. That's our intention. Nothing's changed. We continue as we always have. And that's why I'm excited this morning to introduce my friend Nathan Bryant. Nathan serves as the director of Assist uh, Church Expansion. And uh, Nathan and his twin brother Phil uh, launched our missionary effort into Canada 20 three, four, five, a bunch of years ago, and uh, for the last four years, plus or minus, Nathan has been leading uh, Assist, uh, helping churches uh, seek out and pursue a new day. And so as we look for a new pastor, as we go forward, our hope is, our plan is, our dream is, that we're all on the same page going forward together. And so I've asked Nathan to come this morning and to share with us um, where we're headed, how we're headed, how we're going to get there, as we as God's people in the city of Norwalk seek to advance God's kingdom. So will you welcome Nathan with me? Thanks, Nathan. It's good to hug with. Uh, can we hug with COVID? Is that okay? We're on national television, Nathan. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Pastor Gordon, for letting me be here this morning and for you folks for letting me be with you. Uh, awesome uh, encouragement from Pastor Roy on, on the real reality of our situation. I always say if, if Christians gave one-third the amount of energy and effort to the mission of Jesus as he came to seek and save the lost as they did the politics, we would see a radical revival of the church and of the lost in the world. So, but thank you for that really great reminder. And the worship team, man, awesome. I was so blessed and encouraged by you folks this morning. And to worship Jesus together as his people, there's nothing greater. I have three goals this morning with you. I want to tell you a little bit about who I am and what ASSIST is about. I want to tell you about how we came to be uh, and the strategy we're using. And I want to talk about a, a, a potential partnership that we would like to encourage you to consider uh, with you uh, as we journey uh, in the future. So to start, Pastor Roy gave you a little bit. I am Nathan Bryant. My, my wife's name is Jennifer. i got two boys, Isaiah and Micah. 
Isaiah just graduated from high school. My youngest is a freshman uh, or a ninth grade in Canada. They call it ninth grade. Uh, and he's doing everything online, like I'm sure a lot of your students are here. And uh, he's finding it very frustrating. He says, Dad, I can't focus and get my work done, and I can't talk to the teacher. And I'm like, so what's different than when you were in school? <laughs> but he's, he's, uh, he's making it work. Uh, <laughs> I live in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, which is just outside of the city of Toronto. Uh, I was driving here uh, yesterday, and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be in beautiful Southern California. I'm going to sunshine, and, and it's raining out, and it's snowing in San Bernardino. <laughs> and I'm like, this is what? What is going on? I arrive here at my hotel, and it's overcast and rainy and cloudy, and I'm like, Oh, and then I look at the I look at the forecast. It's supposed to rain all week. I guess I'll wear a sweater tomorrow to church. <laughs> I brought T-shirts, but anyway, uh, God's bigger than the weather, and and uh, so glad to be here. So, um, yes, we went to Canada 24 years ago now to plant churches for our fellowship. Uh, we're part of the Caris Fellowship of Churches, and my twin brother and his wife Beth, and my good friend Bartley Sawaski and his family. We went to Mississauga, which is just outside of Toronto. We've been there for 24 years. The Lord has blessed us and allowed us to, to plant over three. We actually planted four churches, but we merged uh, two of them together to become three churches now. Uh, and we have about six or 700 adults that worship Jesus on Sundays there and seen several hundred folks come to know Christ over that period. And we're really blessed by what God has done. And so uh, our, my background is with our fellowship in church planting is kind of my focus and has been uh, in Canada. Over the last four years, God has led me and our team to uh, develop a ministry called Assist Church Expansion. And when we first started to engage uh, this ministry, God is having us focus on trying to create and maintain a strong organization for our fellowship of churches for church planting. And that was my primary focus. So go ahead and go to the next slide, if you don't mind. Or if you do mind, if you could. <laughs> it's okay. So, yeah, so our, our, we, we started to engage our fellowship because we were losing the organizations that were responsible for church planning in our movement. And our fellowship is, is not that big. We only have, you know, 220 churches in, in North America. And so I was like, man, we need to plant more churches. That's what I'm really all about. So as we started on that journey to figure out how we could preserve uh, a cooperative engagement for our family to do that, I was really focused on church planning. But as I traveled to our churches across the country, I started to realize our fellowship is actually a tale of two stories. Now, some of you here in Southern California, you have uh, knowledge about some of these things and some of you don't. How many are here and online are aware of our fellowship of churches? How many do you know that you're part of the Caris Fellowship of Churches? Man, you guys are so in tune. Pastor Roy, you're, you're killing it over here. But uh, it might have something to do with Tim Lansing back there, too, with, with what he's doing uh, here through the Newark Church. You guys are so active and engaged. It's awesome. But uh, our, our, fel- our fellowship of churches, I want to see more happen. But as I traveled into our fellowship, I realized we are a tale of two stories. Well, what do I mean? Well, if I go to a national conference with Pastor Roy and, and, and Tim comes, and we, we go to a national conference. You know what we're talking about at a national conference? We're talking about 12 churches. There are 12 churches in our fellowship that have grown by 7,000 people over the last 20 years. It's incredible. Tremendous churches. It's actually 17,000 people. 12 churches have grown by 17,000 people over the last 20 years. So Grace Church Akron, Ohio, 7,000 people, seven campuses. It's incredible. 
uh, Grace Fellowship Church Pickerington went from 45 people to 5,000 people in four campuses. Grace Community Church in Goshen, Indiana, from 35 folks, now over 2,500 on a weekend. Just tremendous ministries, seeing people come to know Jesus and growing. And so when we get together as a fellowship of churches, you know what we're talking about? Those 12 churches, because it's pretty amazing what God is doing through those 12 churches. But as I started to travel through our fellowship in the different districts, I realized, oh, there's another story. There's another story. I went to the Florida district. They used to have almost 30 churches. Now they have 14, four of which are almost done. Uh, one's down to five people. It's like, whoa, that's a challenge. Then I went here. I went here to Southern California. At one time, Roy, how many churches did you have here in Southern California? 32. I think it was 32 at its peak. I think you're down to 14 now. Is that about right? 14 or so. I went to Northern California. used to have 12 churches. Now they have five. I went to, I mean, this, as I was traveling across the country, I'm like, wow, I want to plant more churches, but, man, we need to preserve the ones we have. <laughs> we have to figure out how do we actually retain the churches that we have. We used to have 36,000 people in our fellowship 20 years ago. Today we have 38,000, which sounds like a great increase, but we just had talked about the 12 churches that grew by 17,000. So we've actually lost 15,000 people in our family of churches. We used to have 300 churches, and now we have 220. I think we're moving in the wrong direction in terms of our overall footprint for the gospel in, the, in North America for uh, Jesus. And so how do we go about changing that trend? And so God really spoke to me because my initial focus, as Roy would, could, could totally tell you, is all about church planning. Is now, like, how do we go about trying to figure out giving a new day to the churches that we have? I don't want to see another one close. How do we help see churches thrive in, in our context, in our fellowship? Well, as we started to engage that conversation, we realized that our fellowship wasn't alone in this situation. Every denomination in North America is having the same exact problem. Most all the churches are aging out. So how do we fix that? So we started to look at what other denominations were doing, what strategies they were going after, and, uh, and we started to engage that a little bit. This, this vision that we have uh, as, as assist is to see our fellowship become a movement. Now, we don't think that we're going to do that alone. We want to be part of what happens to help ignite that and make that move forward. We want to work with all different uh, organizations within our family and churches and districts to see that happen. But to see our fellowship become a movement, we'd like to be growing by at least 5%. Now, when I looked it up, I can't remember where I looked it up, but there's, there's some kind of uh, uh, authority on this. And they said it has to be growing by at least 2% to be classified as a movement. I'm like, well, 2% isn't very inspirational. <laughs> so can we believe God for 5%? So 5% of 220 churches, it gives us about you know, 11 or so churches additional each year. But in order to grow by 11, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot to plant 11 churches at the same time, uh, we have to stop closing them. And so how do we figure that out? So we want to work both sides of that. And, and we don't want to lose the footprint of the gospel in places where we have it. I mean, when you, when you lose a church, I think about all of the uh, generations of people who sacrificed giving and prayed and worked hard to preserve that, and now we're just going to walk away from it. We don't want to do that anymore. So we started to work on a strategy to create a new future. I'm going to tell you about that strategy in a minute. Before I do, I want to talk about some of the projects that we've been engaged with. So as we stepped out in faith, trying to pursue what God was leading us towards, not even knowing, like I had no idea I'd be doing this today here, Four years ago. Absolutely no idea. But here we are, uh, four years later, and we are now working with over 35 churches in our fellowship of churches of only 220. We have 17 partnership agreements. And I want to share some of the stories that God has been doing in our movement. So go ahead and go to the next slide. 
this is the Three Creeks Church. Uh, this was this was a church plant from um, Movement Church in, in Columbus, Ohio. Movement Church is on the west side of Columbus in Hilliard. Uh, this church is in the town of Gahanna. It's not actually as you think of it is. It's actually the, the native word for three rivers. So <laughs> Gahanna could, could mean other things for some people. So <laughs> that's where the church is located. It's quite called Three Creeks Church. And uh, Joel was a resident at um, Mark Archer's church there in, in, in Hilliard. And Mark said to Joel, listen, you can go plant this church, and we, I want you to. In fact, he told all of his people in his congregation, because Mark's church was only nine years old. It's relatively a new church. He had planted it. About 250 folks were there. He says, anybody that the Lord leads that wants to go with you, please go. That's what most pastors do, right? When they, <laughs> when they <laughs> No, they're like, nobody, no, please don't go. Don't leave me. No, Joel says, uh, he, he says, Mark says, go, whoever wants to go. So, um, actually, eight families sold their homes in Hilliard and bought homes in Gehenna, and over 60 folks from Mark's church left and helped them start this new church plant three years ago. And so this is really just incredible. It says Gehenna, Indiana. It's actually supposed to say Gehenna, Ohio. So anyway, they're doing awesome. They run about 250 folks on Sunday mornings. They've had about 30 folks come to know Christ and get baptized already. So God is doing some new things. Some churches are getting started, and that's pretty exciting. Go ahead to the next slide. This is uh, Trey Gilmore and his wife. Uh, they're planting actually out of the Three Creeks Church and Movement Church. So they're together. Three Creeks has just been planting three years ago, and they brought in an intern, Trey, who's working in partnership with him, them in, in, the, in the Movement Church to plant another church in Columbus, in Grandview. I was actually just at one of their gathering meetings uh, two weeks ago in Columbus. They have about 50 or 60 folks that are getting together. And I tell you, when I was at the meeting, it was really crazy, uh, Roy, because here's about 40, there was, a, there was about 30 online, about 40 in the room. And I couldn't think of anybody, I couldn't see anybody in the room that was over 28. <laughs> like, they were all young folks on fire for Jesus who want to start a new church in this community, just really outside of where Ohio State University is. So really, really cool opportunity. Can you be praying that God would allow them to have a really successful launch of a new church for our fellowship there and for the gospel? Can we do that? Awesome. Go to the next slide. Uh, this, uh, this is a great family, uh, Dane Carraway and his wife, Anna. They, they were, he was a youth pastor at the Clinton Grace Brethren Church just outside of Washington, D.C. for six years, and the Lord had been calling him to plant in Baltimore. And so he's moved, just moved last March to Towson, Maryland, to start a brand new church. Now, he's planting a new church. He's really parachuting in. There's like... the Clinton is not close to Towson. They're not, like, it's not close. It'd be like, you know, planting from, uh, you know, Seal Beach uh, up to where Roy is. It's kind of similar to that. Like, you, people aren't going to travel to that distance. It's not going to happen. So, <clears throat> he moves there. He finally gets his family moved into Towson. And the very next day are all the restrictions for COVID. <laughs> the very next day. Now, if you know... Uh, Dane, he's a fantastic guy, very gregarious, wonderful, warm personality. And he can't wait to start talking to people about Jesus, making relationships, making connections, having stuff at his house and barbecues. And he can't do any of that. He can't talk to people, can't invite people over. Can you pray for Dane and Anna? They just moved their family there. They've got a beautiful young family uh, that they can grow a core group and work towards launching a new church there in Towson. Can you pray for them? Let's go to the next one. Uh, this is a great couple. 
the Witts, Oren and his wife Kara. They have a great young family. Uh, they moved to Florida three years ago, have interned at the Sebring Church. And one of the churches that we are, we are privileged to partner with is the Lakeland Church. And the Lakeland Church is down to five folks. Uh, Oren and his, and his wife are like, we want to be part of helping that church have a new future, have a new day. They just moved to Lakeland uh, just last, uh, actually a month before Christmas. And so they've just got there. They're just getting started. They've already got two families who've sold their homes and moved in with them to start helping them be a core for that new church family. Can you pray for the Lakeland Church? It'll have a new day. Great young family here uh, doing some pretty cool work for Jesus. Go ahead. Next, uh, uh, Huber Heights Church. Um, I don't know, Roy, do you know Pastor Bob Foote? He was, he's been there for many, many years. Uh, Huber Heights is just north of Dayton, and they've asked us to come help him. Roy, uh, excuse me, Pastor Bob has asked to, to transition. He's going to retire, and we just got a partnership with them right before Christmas. We're starting to work with them, just like I'm going to be talking about working with you. Go ahead, next, uh, next slide. Uh, this is the Pataskala Church. Pataskala is just east of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, their pastor uh, stepped down three years ago, or two, two and a half years ago now, and we started to work with them. We have got a partnership with them for revitalization, and uh, we brought in a new pastor. His name is Tim Olmedi. He's been there about a year. Uh, he's got himself a core group together. They're building a new vision for their future. Very excited to see what happens there in Pataskala. We pray for a new day for that church, too. Uh, it would be awesome. So there's lots more stories. I could go through 30 more, but I... I want to say some other stuff this morning to you. But I want you to know that God is working in our family. There is a new day happening. There is a, there is a movement to see refreshment, renewal, revival in these churches and for the gospel of Jesus. And we're very excited to be kind of on the front seat of that. Let's go ahead and um, go to the next slide. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we found out as we were to doing investigation and talking about how do we help churches find a new day is that churches actually have a history, have a life. And the normal life of a church is 50 years. So this is a bell curve, which shows you the average of all churches. And so it's really not really helpful in some regards because it's not what churches look like in their history. You know, churches will typically start and then they'll grow. They'll typically plateau, get a new leader, spike, maybe divide, shrink, get a new... like the. This does not actually mirror most churches' trajectories. But if you average them all together, this is what it looks like. So you know that the average church in the first five to ten years sees 90% of all the adult converts it's ever going to see. The first five to ten years of a church sees 90% of all the adult converts it's ever going to see. That's why I'm big on church planning, because church planning allows you to have a fresh engagement to reach lost people. But it doesn't have to be that way, but that's the way that most churches are. So what happens is, as a church starts to grow, it sees conversion, discipleship, and then it starts to plateau and eventually declines. Churches are aging out. They're aging out. So what happens is, is a church usually has a heyday. Now, I don't know when the heyday was here for your church, but every church typically has a heyday or a series of heydays typically connected with some leader. Let's say that heyday was 1985. Or the heyday was 1995. Or the heyday was 2001. Let's, whenever the heyday, when the peak of the church, where there was a massive or a lot of conversion happening, a lot of discipleship, people were growing in their faith, they were seeing a season of God just do some tremendous stuff. In that heyday is when the church grows and sees a lot of conversion and discipleship. 
What happens is the people who are part of that conversion, that becomes the template or their mindset or the imprint of what the church is for them. That day, 1985, 2001, whenever it was, that season when they grew and they came to know Jesus, that becomes the imprint of the church in their mind. And you know what they want to continue doing? 1985, 2001, whatever it was for them. Because that's how they came to know Jesus. That's how they grew in their faith. And so that's how they want other people to have the same opportunity. And so was there anything wrong with 1985? Was there anything wrong with 2001? No. What year is it now? Has the culture changed at all? The demographics outside the church? Anything changed? No change? Oh. Just a snap. Oh, snap. Just, a, just a smidge. Right. So there was nothing wrong with what we were doing in 1985. There was nothing wrong with what we were doing in 2001 if we were seeing people saved and growing in their faith. The problem is, is that their strategy has to change. But it's really difficult for people who came to know Christ in a certain way and grew in their faith in a certain way to allow change to happen. Because to them, that's how they grew, so it must work for other people. But they don't understand the cultural context of how that works. If we were missional, missionary, we were going to go to a different country and we were going to share the gospel, what would we do first? Start sharing the gospel right away? Or would we want to understand the culture, the language of the people? What would we do first? Yeah, we want to know the culture because we want to actually make it understandable to the people we're trying to share with. And Jesus has called us as his church to be in this community and this community is where God wants us to work and operate, and this community is changing. So what do we have to do? We have to change. We have to change. And so, and if we don't change, we have a big problem. So what typically happens to most churches that plateau and decline is when they, they plateau, so they stop reaching lost people. The day you stop reaching lost people is the day you start to die. This is the day. Right? Now, it's like, it's like Adam and Eve when they were in the Garden of Eden. They... You know, did they die physically when they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? They died spiritually, separated from God. That happened, they were kicked out of the garden that day. That was done, right? But physically, they started to die, right? They didn't die that day, but they started to, and eventually their doom was sealed, right? That's what happens when we stop reaching lost people. When the church stops reaching the lost, the church is on a, a steady pace to die. You're only 25 to 30 years away from death. And what happens is the church starts to decline. What does the church want to do? It wants to do more of what? Whatever its peak was. So when the church starts to decline, we need to do more 1985. We need to do more 2001. If we just did more 2001, we would kill it. And they try to do more 2001, and guess what they find? It doesn't, doesn't work because they're no longer in 2001. It doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean they don't have sincere faith. It doesn't mean they don't love Christ and the Word of God. It doesn't mean it. It just means that they're working a strategy that doesn't affect the community they're trying to reach for Jesus. And so what happens is in this declining period of the church, <clears throat> what starts to happen is the grandparents are having conversations with their grandkids and their children, and the children and the grandkids are saying to Grandma and Grandpa, we love you, and we love Jesus, but we don't want to go to your church anymore. And Grandma and Grandpa said, well, that's not possible, because if you love Jesus and you love me, you must love our church. You, can't, you cannot love our church, because we love Jesus, and we love the Bible, and we love... Sorry, Mommy. Sorry, Grandpa. We're going to go to a different church. And Grandma and Grandpa are confused. They're heartbroken. And they don't understand. And then the, all the children exit the church. Why? Because of the Bible, the gospel... No, because of culture. 
because the grandchildren are growing up in 2021. <laughs> They're not growing up in 1985, and they don't want to continue living in 1985. And grandma and grandpa are like, well, 1985 was awesome. Why don't you come join us in 1985? And they're like, well... You have 1985 if you want it, Grandma and Grandpa, but we're going to go 2021. Thank you so much. That's, and that's what's taking place in the church. The churches are aging out. They're aging out. They're losing their impact and effectiveness for the gospel, and they're also culturally staying, trying to stay and withhold a cultural context. Now, the purpose of the church isn't to retain our culture. The purpose of the church is to come and seek and save the lost. And the culture around us is shifting. And people have a hard time understanding the distinction between the gospel and the Bible and things that we do that are culturally engaging, our strategies, our, 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 our structures, the way that we go about affecting the ministry of Jesus. We think they're all from the Bible, and the Bible actually doesn't teach us any structures. It's amazing. When you read the scripture about the church, there's hardly any structure, conversation. There's a few offices, lots about the gifts, the diversity, big time on the mission, not much on the structures. You know why that is? Well, so the church can be anything to any people, any place on the planet, right? Because the culture isn't defined by the scripture for the church. It's actually telling us, Paul says, I become all things to all people, but by his grace I might reach what? Some. That's what Paul says. Right? So the work of the church of God is not that we're comfortable and happy in this place, because this place, guess what? It's going to burn. <laughs> this place is temporary. Our, our citizenship is in, is in heaven. We're only here for a short time to do the mission of Jesus, and he came to seek and save the lost. And so the focus and the, motion, and, and the ministry of the church has to be focused on the lost. If the church does not reclaim its focus on the lost, it's going to die. It's only a matter of time. So as we started to think about these things and understood this concept, we started to engage teaching and training from other, other people who were actually engaged in helping churches have a new day and revitalize and we started to, to think about what they were doing and how they were doing that. And a big piece of what they were focused on was the change theory of how to help churches who have an existing way of thinking and operating to think differently. And we didn't understand that because I've always been focused on church planning. And the beauty of church planning is you get to start from, the, from zero with no baggage. <laughs> you get to say, okay, we're going to go plant this church over here this way, and you know, we don't have a history. It was the start. And so it's a wonderful thing, church planning. But I understand church planning. But church revitalization, church restart, don't understand that. didn't understand that at the time. So we started to look at those strategies, take the training, go to courses, engage people in conversations, and started to understand, wow, a lot of what they're saying about church revitalization and restart is very, very similar to church planning. The difference is, is that change theory concepts. And so we started to mix together the, the strategies that we were learning and the things that we already understood about church planning, and we came up, God has led us to a five-step process of helping a church find a new day. So that's where I am now. So that's how we got there, and so I'm going to share with you that five-step process. So uh, let's go ahead and go to the next slide. We call it our five big rocks, and some of you have watched our video. Some of you haven't had the chance to. You'll have a, I'm going to ask uh, um, uh, Tim if you wouldn't mind sending that link out to you folks this week, but uh, five big rocks is what we're going to work on. Now, I've had uh, the privilege of having the opportunity to engage your, your leadership team and talk about uh, this five big rocks strategy to work with your church and also talk to the leaders uh, of the ministries that you have in your church about this, and now we're talking to you as a congregation. But we would really love to partner with your church to help your church have a new day 
and a revitalization process that takes about three years. And these are the five steps that this would involve. And today is about information to help you understand what those five steps are and what we would be doing. Next week, I'm going to come back, speak, preach a message on Sunday morning, but we're going to have a town hall meeting after the service where you can ask all the questions you want about this. So today is about informing you, let you interact with it, think about it, come back next week with all your questions that you might have on it. So here's the five, the five steps. The first step is, is unity. Without unity, you can never succeed. Jesus said, a house divided against itself, what? Cannot stand. And I've seen so many places that I've gone into and connected with, and I know very little about your context, so don't hear anything coming back to you, but I've engaged lots of different churches. The primary issue, why they weren't able to succeed in helping creating a new day for their church, was there wasn't unity. A number of churches that I've come into, they've just hired a new pastor, and that pastor came in, and the goal was for him to help the church have a new future, but there wasn't unity on the board, and that created massive problems with him and with, with the board, and the, the guy quits, and then you're in a big challenge. And there's other situations where the congregation is not unified with the board. The board wants to move forward, the congregation doesn't, and there's massive infighting and all kinds of bickering and issues happening, and how do you move forward when there's no unity? You can't. So we have to unify the church, and that's our first step. So our first step is to unify the church. And what do we want to unify around? Now, I come from a large family. I'm originally from Maine. Uh, I have nine brothers and sisters, and I tell people the only thing we were actually unified about as a family <coughs> was my mom's chocolate chip walnut cookies. Like, that was something awesome. And, we, you know, whenever they came out of the oven, now there's, there's, remember, there's ten children. So how many cookies do you think we actually got? Now, my twin brother and I were the youngest, and I have five older brothers. So guess how many cookies I got? Yeah, I made up for it. I've made up for it. <laughs> so the only thing we were unified... Now, everything else in the house, trust me, there wasn't a lot of unity. <laughs> you know, with ten kids, there was a lot of, you know, squibbling and squabbling and all that stuff. But, but we were unified around those cookies. So I don't think that we can unify as a church around everything and think we can totally be unified about everything before we move forward. I think that's... A little bit of ridiculous perspective. Love it to happen. Amazing if it could. I don't think it's real reality. So, but could we unify around one idea? And so I want to challenge you as a church family to consider, can we, can we work together? Can we unify around creating a new future, a new vision, a new way forward together? And would you be willing to partner with, assist with our organization to help you through this five-step process over a three-year period to help you have a new day? That's that's what we want to see if we can't unify around. Now, we're working through three... Uh, th uh, go to the next slide, please. Through this concentric circle. So we started with the elders. I spent uh, a, n a number of months with your elders having back-and-forth conversations, interacting with this five-step process, saying, hey, would you guys consider uh, working with us to do this? And the elders said, yeah, we love it. We want to work with assist. We want to partner with you. And we want to actually make this happen. And I said, that's fantastic. Even though you as the elders have said yes, I'm still, we still haven't actually, I can't partner with you. Until the congregation says yes, and we all do this together, we're not going to partner. So <clears throat> what lots of times happens in most churches is there a jump from the elders right to the congregation. And this makes a big problem. Unintentional. Unintentional challenge in the church. Because the people who lead the ministries and give the most energy and effort to actually execute the things that you do as a church are really important in the church family. 
And what happens is the elders have been thinking and praying about something for a long time, about major change for the church, and they move right to the congregation and they jump past that middle-level group. That middle-level group has a, a bit of a challenge. They're like, whoa, this is the first time I'm hearing this, and the whole congregation is hearing it, and they don't know what to do. <clears throat> and that, that becomes a really strong sticking point. So I spent time with the elders. We talked to them, and they said, love it. When we went to the ministry leaders, and we had a number of Zoom calls with them, and they say, love it. So now, I'm here with you, the rest of the congregation, and you folks online, talking to you as a church family. Can we do this together? Can, can we have a future together? Will we work towards this process, this plan? Well, you say, well, what's the plan? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute. But, but the, the, what are we going to unify around? We're going to unify working together to create a new future. That's, that's what we want to do. And that, that's this five-step process. So let's go back to the next slide. So the first step, the first rock, is unity. And this, this unity rock is going, to, is going to finalize or culminate in an actual vote. The congregation, you, the people of the church, are going to vote on whether you want to partner with assist or not to create a new day for your church or do a revitalization process. Now, why do I want the congregation to vote? I want the congregation to vote because I want all of you to own it. I don't want us to move forward with a revitalization partnership and you know, 20% of you are sitting back saying, I didn't vote for that. I didn't want that to happen. Is that helpful? Is it going to help the, the body of Jesus if we do that? Yeah. We want to do it together. We want to do this together. So we want everybody involved. We want everybody to, to chip in. I also want the Holy Spirit to speak. Right? When everybody in the church votes on something, I believe the Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in you. And if the Holy Spirit leads us and we together, as God's people, agree that we want to do something together, it's not just individuals agreeing, it's the Holy Spirit in us confirming that what's, this is what he wants to do. So if the Holy Spirit leads us together to want to do something, boy, that's a pretty powerful confirmation of his working. So we want to do what God is leading us to do by his Spirit in his Spirit in you. We want to do it together. So that's the first step. We want to be unified. The second step is finding a leader. Of course, this is what most churches are focused on, especially churches in your situation. You went, we want a new leader, and we want him yesterday. <laughs> so one of the awesome situations you have here is you have Pastor Roy, and Pastor Roy is awesome. So you have a great leader here, a great teacher pastor with you, with lots of experience. So you're not a, you don't have to be in a hurry to find a leader. You're not like, oh, we don't have a pastor. Well, you, you have a great pastor right here, seasoned pastor. So, but you want to find a leader. Now, most of the time, when we're looking for a leader... Most, most churches are looking for a great communicator because they don't want to fall asleep on Sundays. I, I get that. Uh, they want a good communicator. And they want a good shepherd. Someone's going to love them. People want to be loved and cared for. So that's, that's good. As a cis working with you, our desire is to help your church to have a new day, a, a great new future. And so we're looking for someone who's committed to the Bible, committed to our fellowship, uh, committed to the scripture and the gospel, all those things as character, all the things that you would look for in a pastor. But we're looking for specifically leadership. You can't go from where you are to where you need to be without leadership. It's not possible. You can't. You can have a great communicator. If he's not a good leader, you're, you're not going to go anywhere. You can have a great shepherd, an awesome lover of people. And that's awesome, but you're not going to go anywhere. You, you need a leadership. Leadership takes you from where you are to where you need to be. And so we're looking for a strong leader. Now, when we work with you in this, in this partnership, we're partnering with you to help you through this process, and the leader is a key component to, our, to the success of all of this. But we're going to do this together mutually. So as a CIS, we're not going to give you a leader and say, you must, you must take the leader that we've selected for you because we're partnering with you. No, we're partnering. We're not, we're not controlling you. We're not telling you. We're working together. So partnering means we're going to mutually agree. 
So we're going to recommend a leader that you consider. You're going to work through your own search team and search committee. They're going to, work, they're going to vet that person. Uh, and then you're going to vote on them as a congregation. And you might say no. And we go back and we say, okay, we'll go find a new leader. Because I, I use the illustration, you know, we have to like them, but you have to live with them. So you better, you better get a chance to have your say, right, in all of that. The other thing is we want to make sure that you totally are behind this leader. So we want the whole process that you would normally do through any search process, we want that to happen. What we don't want to do is we don't want to parade a bunch of leaders. And that some churches do this, we really discourage it. We don't want to see that happen. Because if you get Bob and Tom and, and Fred all here preaching, and some like Fred and some like Tom and some like Bob, have we helped anything in unifying the church towards a new no, We have completely messed that up. So we don't want to do that. Six months in, you know, we have Fred, and boy, everybody wants to own. <laughs> so, no, we don't want to do that to you. So we will work with your, your search committee to present one person at a time to the congregation. So that's, that's kind of how we will work on it. So we want to give ourselves a year to find a leader. Will it take a year? I hope not. I hope it happens a lot quicker than that. But a year gives us three cycles of searches. And it takes about three to four months to finish a full search cycle. And that lets us uh, kind of redo that. When we, go, when we do searches uh, for new pastors, we can get up to 150 uh, resumes of people who want to be your pastor. And we look at them and it's like a 90% of them are people that shouldn't even be in the pulpit. Forget about being your pastor. <laughs> like, so it takes quite a bit of weeding out to come to a look at you know, really solid prospect candidates for, for your congregation. So we want to work in partnership with you to help you find a really great leader who loves Jesus, believes in the scripture, believes in our family of churches, and will help help you create a new future as a church family. So the first step is unity. The second step is leader. So we need unity in the church, and we need a strong leader. So those two things are in play. The third piece is something that most churches skip over. So we, we, we find, uh, we have somewhat unity, we have somewhat uh, of a decent leader, but the third step is we have to find um, a team. We have to build a team. See, when you bring a leader into your church, he comes with the gifts that God's given him. And they may be awesome gifts. They may be amazing gifts. They may be spectacular gifts, but they're only the gifts that he has. He's not, he doesn't have every gift. I mean, the only person who had every gift was Jesus, and I don't, I don't see him walking around too much except for through us. And so the Holy Spirit's given us unique and different gifts. So you have a pastor who comes to you. He's very evangelistic, which is fantastic. So everything's evangelism, evangelism, evangelism. And like, okay, so the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. Or you have a pastor who comes to you and everything's discipleship, teaching, 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 teaching. So you're 10 miles wide and one inch deep, right? and one, one inch wide. So you're, you, you have to have balance. And no man can do it by himself. So we want to actually create a team. We want a team that, that can go around this leader to work with him to help create and generate a new vision for the future of the church. We also want this team for other reasons, because the team is actually going to represent the people of the church so that there isn't that someone coming in who's never maybe lived here, doesn't have the understanding of the culture of the, family, the church family as well as the people who live around it, to help build a vision for what's going to reach the people who live here. That doesn't make any sense. So by adding more people to the team, this team is going to allow us to have a, a roundedness of vision and roundedness of gifting, but also a good complementary uh, a complement of the people of the church and of the community to help you have a really solid team. So we want to build a team. So the first step is unifying the church. The second step is finding a good leader, great leader. Third step is building a solid team. And we want that team to be empowered by the elders uh, under the authority of the leader of the, uh, of the new pastor to actually work on the next step, which is building 
a new vision. That's step four. And step four is the heart of what we'll be working with you on in helping you to revitalize, creating a new vision for the future of your church. And this is a really big piece, a really important piece. It takes a lot of time. What we want to do is we want to rethink the church around who are the people who actually live here. What's the target of the church? Who is the church going to reach for Jesus? And let's rethink about everything we're doing in relationship to who we're trying to reach for Christ. And so that's really what we want to be doing. We want to do that with that, with that vision team. So this is going to take some time. It's going to take about nine months to a year to build this plan. <clears throat> it's going to be a lot of work, a big job. We do all kinds of things. We're going to bring in coaching. We're going to provide uh, boot camps would allow you, this team to go away and actually have extended periods of time to engage with other coaches and other people to work on this plan. What are they building? What is this plan? I'm calling it a working model of church. We want to actually help your team build a working model of church. They so, say, well, our church works. Okay. Uh, all right. Most churches are working somewhat, but not totally. What do I mean by a total working model? A total working model of church is a church that's actually effective at reaching the lost, integrating them into the church family, making healthy disciples, and developing leaders and reproducing as a church. That's a working model. And so we want to create a working model of church that's effective at reaching the people who live in your community for Christ, integrating them into the community of believers, developing them as healthy followers of Jesus, and developing leaders who will take the church forward and multiply it. So we want to create a working model of church, and that's going to take a lot of time. Now, as assist, working with your church and with this team, we are not prescriptive. What does that mean? I don't think that the strategy they're trying to do in Harlem is going to work for you, right? Don't think so. I don't think the, the, the strategy they're using in Costa Mesa is going to work here. Like whatever they're doing someplace else, fine. You can look at it. You can consider it. But we're not going to tell you how to do church. What we are going to do is work your team through a strategic planning process that will allow you to build a way of doing church, of reaching the loss and making disciples and developing leaders and reproducing that works for your context with your people in this, in this place. So that's what we're working towards. So we're not prescriptive. We're not going to say, you must do this and this and this. No, we're going to say, no, you must have a strategy for reaching lost people who actually live in your community. <laughs> That's what you must do. How you do it, we'll let you figure it out. But, but you need to do that. And so we're going to help you figure that out. So we're not prescriptive as a ministry. So there's all kinds of different strategies or ways that guys are going after this in, the, in, the, in the, the 17 churches that we're working with right now and building their plans. They're all going to look a little bit different. And that's perfectly awesome because each of their communities are totally different <laughs> and so that's that's great so i just want you to know that going forward so this next phase of of building a plan is a big part it's the heart of what we're going to be helping you to do but once you build a plan that's awesome and everything looks good what on paper right? <laughs> everything looks good on paper and step number five this last plan is is relaunching the church we want to actually work to relaunch the church but to get there where there's a lot of work to do, one is they come up with a new vision, a new way forward, a new way to operate as a church family so you can be more effective at reaching the lost and making disciples and reproducing, which is fantastic. But people have, you, the people of the church, have to get into that. You have to hear it. You have to interact with it. You have to own it. You have to like it. You have to commit to it, right? So there's a whole process of that happening. But then when you do that, you're like, okay, so here's the new vision that we're going to go after as a church, and this is a new way that we're going to do it. That means that we're going to have to maybe cut some stuff out that we were doing before that needs to go. We need to add some stuff that we didn't do, or we need to modify the stuff that we are doing to actually 
function more effectively in the, in the vision that we've, we've developed. So we have to build all that out. <laughs> it's not going to happen overnight. Then once we get all that done, when we figured all of that out, we've got ownership of the church family, we've got restructured what we're doing to, to, to be ready to actually implement. Maybe we brand a little bit as a church. We're going to relaunch you into the community just like you were a church plant, even though you've been here forever. We're going to launch you out again with that new vision, new strategy, and we want to see what God will do to reach lost people, integrate people, and make disciples. So the way I'm saying this, the way that we're working with you to do this in partnership is in the illustration I'm using is if at my house, when I get home um, next week, I tell my wife when I show up the first day, uh, there's 50 people coming over tonight for supper. She won't believe it, for one, because it's COVID. But, so, but let's pretend it happens. So 50 people show up for supper at our house. Uh, uh, you think my wife's going to be very happy with me? Not too much. No, not so much. Yeah, well, 50 people show up. Now, it's been COVID, right? So we really haven't cleaned our house. Now, we've cleaned our house, but we haven't cleaned our house. You know what I'm saying? When people come over to your house, you clean your house, right? That's, that's what we, so, so we haven't had people over, so we haven't really cleaned our house. So 50 people are coming over. The house isn't clean. They're going to come to the dining room table, and the dining room table has my kids' homework, the mail, keys. And there's, there's no place to sit for everybody. And 50 people are coming over. There's no place. And food, we didn't think people were, no food. Like, there's not enough food to feed everybody. So how did the party go? Horrible. Besides my wife wanting to kill me. It was horrible. It was a horrible evening. (laughs) So so what do we want to do? We want to clean the house. Clean the house. Set the table. Make the food. Especially make the cake, right? And then we want to open the door. Lots of times as a church, you want to see more people come in. We want more people. We just had more people. We would be succeeding. We would grow. We would. I had a business for a while, and in my business, the Lord had allowed me to grow the business to a certain level, and, and <clears throat> it was doing okay. I thought, man, Lord, if you could just give me more business, I need more business. If I had more business, I could kill it because I'm, you know. So the Lord blessed me. You got to be careful what you pray for. The Lord blessed me. Over the next season, I got like thirty to forty percent more business. What ended up happening was, is I couldn't do the business. My people were falling down all over the place. They were not fulfilling orders. They were making them wrong. I had to give money, people money back. I had to refund stuff. I had to redo stuff. I was losing more money with more business than I ever made from the business I had. I'm like, oh, what was my problem? I wasn't ready for more business. So for you as a church, we want to help you get ready. We want you to be effective at reaching the lost, integrating people, making disciples, developing leaders, reproducing. We want to help you find a way to do that. Not a way that we're going to prescribe to you, but a way that you develop yourself. And so we really want to help you clean the house, set the table, finish making the food, and then opening the door. That's our five-step process. Unifying the church, finding a great leader, building a fantastic team, creating a vision and strategy that works for you here, and then implementing that vision together. So thank you so much for letting me come here today, tell you that perspective. We want you to pray and think about it. We're going to have a conversation next week. Please plan on coming to the service as well as be part of that interaction that we'll have next week in our town hall conversation. I look forward to it. Uh, Let me pray for you before I go. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to engage these folks in Norwalk. Thank you for their love for you, their passion for Jesus and the gospel and the lost. May you bless and encourage each one and unify them towards where you're leading us together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
stand for the last song. And the gospel is so important to revitalizing the church, right? It's super important. And we don't know how long our life is. I had a friend who lost her 18-year-old son in a tragic accident a week ago. Thankfully, he knew Jesus. But that's why we, we don't know the time of our death. We don't know the time that our neighbor's death is. So it's so important to share the gospel. And it's simply stated in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's sing that song.
What a great morning, huh? So as we celebrate 111 years of the history of our church, we're looking forward to a great future, a new day. And we just believe that God wants to do some special stuff here. I believe that. Do you? He wants to do some special stuff here. He wants to reach people for Jesus. I'm looking forward to us wearing out the water pipes in the baptistry. Um, I'm looking forward to some great stuff that God wants to do. And so be praying. That's the most important thing we can do is pray for God to lead us together as we continue to explore together, talk together, have conversation together. I have a bike ride, Nathan, a month-long bike ride planned in October. Okay, three weeks at least. Bike ride, if everything goes well, three weeks. So, new pastor in September, right? So Roy can go on his bike ride in October. That's the plan. So, uh, as Nathan said, there's kind of a three-year time. We're gonna, this year, we're committed to finding our new pastor. That following year, we'll form that team. Some of you are going to be on that team. Some of you are going to be a part of that team that we wrap around our new leader to support and encourage and help and assist in so many exciting ways. And uh, we're going to go forward together in the power of our King Jesus. That's the plan. So we're going to take about a 10-minute break, maybe till about uh, 11.40. And then we're going to have our business meeting. We need to approve our budget for the year and uh, approve our new officers for 2021. So uh, those of you that are here, uh, plan on being back here uh, for our meeting in about eight and a half to ten minutes. And those of you at home, you got a little break, and then come and join us. And you have a link that Tim sent you yesterday to Zoom to be able to Zoom in and be able to participate and ask questions. So hopefully in the next seven to ten minutes, you can figure that out. Uh, the first time I did it, it took me a little longer. But you can do it. I have confidence in you. So let's do that together as we move forward in the power of our great King, okay? All right. God bless.